Welcome to episode eight of If I Rule the World, what I'm calling my solo episode. So every now and again, I am going to do a little stock taking like we're going to do today. That's because if you're anything like me, it takes time, days, weeks, sometimes even months for new ideas, new information, new perspectives to kind of work their way, percolate into my subconscious mind and become integrated into how I think, how I see the world, what I believe to be true, all those things. And I think one of the reasons why it takes time, for me at least, is because I tend to feel first before the words come. I'm a really emotional being, basically. So what do I feel? <laughs> Let's start with grateful. I'm really grateful between you, my audience, and Triodos, my sponsors, a space has been created to share some really beautiful, thought-provoking conversations. However, one of the things I hadn't quite counted on when I first had the idea of doing a podcast called If I Rule the World, which is almost five years ago now, by the way, was how much the world is going to change and keep changing. There are things going on in the world that are so far out of my lane in terms of what's considered my area of expertise but I feel are impossible to ignore when we're talking about how we're going to make the world a better place. There are things that are really hard to frame out of the conversation. So for years now, I've noticed, and I've always found it quite curious, amusing almost, how when I'm interviewing people or watching people being interviewed, whether it's for TV work or for the podcast even, there's always this little shift, like split-second recalibration where all of a sudden the conversation starts getting passed through various filters and I'm sure we're all kind of familiar with this on one level like when you know you're being witnessed heard where your thoughts and opinions are being shared with a wider audience yeah you have protectors the inner protectors come up and sometimes they do a great job and sometimes they do a little too good of a job, in my opinion. So producer Sam called this the red light syndrome, which I hadn't actually come across before, but apparently it's a musician thing, recording studio thing. So really talented musician, rocks up to the studio, on goes the red light, they start recording and it all falls apart. I think in that context, we're obviously talking about nerves. But like I said, in this context of sharing our deeper thoughts and authentic selves, it's a bit more about holding back. And maybe it's because I've been working predominantly in wildlife TV and natural history, and apparently we're not supposedly people people, like a people person, but in plural. <laughs> but either way, I really beat myself up about this, about not being more forthright and outspoken, especially on this podcast, because frankly, the buck stops with me. So, oh, I'll be honest, I've been feeling really shitty and really paralyzed and lost for words about how to address some of the things that are on my heart, and I'm sure on yours too. So just winding back a few episodes ago, when I was in conversation with Action for Conservation, with Hendrikus van Hensbergen and Hal Rhodes, and... We were talking about their work, about intergenerational work and nature restoration, but we went a bit off track <laughs> and started talking about this phenomenon, the red light syndrome. 
And some much needed compassion bubbled up in that conversation. I can't remember who it was who said that people who don't have good intentions don't care about what they say. Because it's simply about winning, making money, doing this out of the other. If you're on the other side and you're looking for the truth of something, you're probably more likely to be like, well, I don't know. And there's a sort of intellectual, moral humility to that. Mm. But sometimes that probably makes us less bold in calling out things that are obviously wrong. And that's that's not a good thing. I think that happens to us in all sorts of different ways, but in relation to your like specific question around what's the what's this rupture when you like come into a space which is suddenly in some way public? Mm-hmm. Like I think that's deep in human psychology. Like this is why there was I can't remember who came up with the idea, but this idea of the panopticon like a prison design in which all of the cells face inwards to look at each other. Because people have known for a really long time that when people feel watched, viewed, scrutinized, they change. And partly that's how society works. Like we all hold each other to account and we do things differently because people can see us and we feel accountable to other people. And I think there's probably even amongst, you know, this isn't like a political debate show, which I'm sure people would have like a much more intense version of this, but like even amongst friends and like-minded people, we edit ourselves to be in that shared space. That was Hal Rhodes in episode five, Making Places, Creating Belonging. He also went on to challenge that a little soul searching was necessary by asking one simple yet profound question, which has stayed with me since. And he asked, what are we not saying that we would like to say? And let's switch that into the I. What am I not saying that I would like to say? Well, for me, at least on this podcast, it's Gaza, Israel, Palestine. The weirdest thing is that even though I thought that this podcast, and because I said it out loud, would mean that I was giving myself permission to stray out of my lane and talk about things that aren't about natural history and about wildlife, I thought it'd be easy. I thought I'd just be like, okay, now I can talk about whatever I want. But um, yeah, the guardrails are still up, weirdly. And it's been bothering me because I launched the whole podcast, this whole podcast series, talking to Jojo Mehta, co-founder and spokesperson for Stop Ecocide International. This is the organization behind the campaign to make ecocide, which is defined as the mass destruction and damage of the natural living world, to make that a crime under international law. And if adopted, it'll join the four existing international crimes, which are crimes against humanity, war crimes, the crimes of aggression, and genocide. Now, this is where I should have stopped way back in that episode, I should have stopped and said, how can I talk about ecocide and not mention genocide? Not just in Gaza, but Yemen, South Sudan, Tigray. The war may be officially over there, but war crimes are still being reported in Ethiopia's most northerly region. I think what's happening in Gaza right now is genocide, but I know that is not what everyone thinks. And right now, literally as I record this, The International Court of Justice, the place where nation-states can resolve disputes legally, is considering the evidence against Israel as presented by South Africa. And the one thing I am going to say that I truly believe is 
all nation states need to get behind this legal process without meddling. Because frankly, if it fails, I think we're all fucked. And let me qualify that. If the International Court of Justice rules to grant emergency measures to stop the war in Gaza, the ruling is expected any day now, might even be announced on the very same day this podcast episode is released. All I can say is if the ICJ is either undermined or the ruling ignored, the world will have lost the only legal mechanism to allow countries, nation states, to intervene to stop genocides and mass killings, not just in Gaza, but anywhere in the world. I know these processes are not perfect. Speaking to Jojo in that episode about ecocide law and the parallel world of the ICC, which is the International Criminal Courts, where individuals, not countries, are tried, Well, the example she gave was a case in point about meddling behind the scenes. She described how during the drafting of the Rome Statute, so these are the legal documents where the four international crimes of genocide, crimes against humanity, war crimes, and crimes of aggression were established, right? And it took years of negotiation to do this, during which time a fifth crime that should have made it into the final treaty mysteriously disappeared. And that was the crime of ecocide. So Polly Higgins discovered that during the drafting of what was to become their own statute, there were a number of clauses that didn't make the final cut. And there was an environmental crimes clause that was among those that would have covered severe and widespread and long-term harm to the environment. But it, it it wasn't that it was voted out. There was no vote that we can find in the records. But there were certain countries that did object to it. The US, the UK, France, the Netherlands, and at one point, actually, Brazil. And it's interestingly, all of those states are oil states. And certainly those key four states at that time were either looking at or engaging in nuclear testing programs. And there's there's some indication that that may well have been a reason why they didn't want that to make the final treaty. Honestly, the whole thing sounds like a legal investigative drama, the way Jojo tells it. As far as anyone can tell, from the minutes of the meetings, which obviously are designed to capture the collective thought processes and decision-making, the minutes show no record of any vote being taken to drop the fifth crime of ecocide. It simply slipped off the agenda. What is noteworthy, however, in the initial discussions, the main countries opposing ecocide law were the US, the UK, France and the Netherlands. In a completely different context, when I was speaking to Candice Rondo, she's a geopolitical expert, a future war expert, and I was speaking to her in the previous episode seven. She made a passing comment about rogue states like China and Kazakhstan when she was speaking about digital currencies. Check it out if you're interested in that. And it made me think about, well, if ecocide is the hill you're willing to die on, would that make the US, the UK, France, and basically all the countries that had opposed the ecocide law, would that make them the rogue states if you're writing the book of this legal drama? I don't know about you, but I've spent a long time thinking if we want a better world, we're going to have to burn the house down and start again from scratch. Radical system change, in other words. And I used to love the sound of that, but 
in the conversations that we've been having on this podcast, in researching for this podcast, what I'm learning is way more intriguing and frankly, way more hopeful. Because in many cases, the solutions, laws, legislation already exist. And in many cases, they're being blocked, suppressed, weakened, or simply not being enforced. In other words, this isn't our first rodeo. So I'm going to be continuing on my quest to keep shining a light on the many, many invisible barriers to positive change. And one of the many people I'm hoping to get onto the podcast is Matt Kennard. He's an investigative journalist and co-author of a book called Silent Coup, How Corporations Overthrew Democracy. And I'm giving him a plug. He hasn't said yes yet. And I really don't mind if he says no in the end, because that book, I think, is one of the most important books and revealing books I've read in a really long time. Along with fellow journalist Claire Provost, he does some proper boots on the ground work and also, frankly, knows buried in what I can only imagine are some of the most eye-wateringly boring and impenetrable documents to shine a light on the corporate, legal, and economic infrastructures that not only enable mass destruction of entire ecosystems, but also allow private companies to sue governments, particularly in poorer countries, under certain circumstances, if they try to stop them. When I talk about the invisible barriers to positive change, it's not just a metaphor, it's not just a nice sounding string of words. These barriers really exist. So me and the team, producer Sam and editor Jake, will be working hard to bring this story and other guests covering a wide range of topics from, okay, get this, how Somali piracy in the Indian Ocean began as an act of resistance against the illegal dumping of European toxic waste off the East African coast. We'll be speaking to tech justice lawyers, fighting for not only workers' rights, but for all of our privacy rights by using the law to bring the big tech giants, so that's Meta, Google, Amazon, to heal. We'll also be hearing from the straight-talking, nothing-is-off-the-agenda, Craig Bennett, former Friends of the Earth CEO and the current CEO of the UK charity, the Wildlife Trusts, who have been immense supporters of the podcast in helping to spread the word about If I Rule the World to their membership. So for that, I'm really grateful. And speaking of being grateful, I start off by being grateful. I'm still grateful. <laughs> I just want to big up the exclusive sponsors of If I Rule the World, the sustainable and ethical bank Triodos UK. It's easy to think that they are just the latest in a whole string of businesses and organizations who kind of wedge the words sustainable or eco into their branding. But Triodos have been in the game for a really long time, long before anyone even thought there was a need for an ethical bank. So 40 years of trailblazing, to be precise, and Triodos's mission remains the same, to make money work for positive change. And with almost three quarters of a million customers, I'm one of them, by the way, in both Europe and the UK, it looks like there are a lot of people out there who want to know that their hard-earned cash is not propping up all the wrong things and instead supporting all the right things. So no investing in fossil fuels, no investing in arms companies, and all the things you don't think about when you think about positive change. So there you have it, a bank that exists to drive positive system change. I'm really proud to have Triodos as the exclusive sponsors for If I Rule the World. This has been a really difficult episode for me to write and to record. 
because of the backdrop of what's going on in the world. I mentioned Gaza and Israel. And I feel like in a podcast that claims to be about exploring all the ways of how we can make the world a better place, it would be an enormous failing on my part not to acknowledge the human suffering that's going on at the moment. Ugh. I support an immediate ceasefire, and I think it is for the international community, for those of us not engulfed in the red mist of rage, of terror, fear, and loss, to do everything in our power to make sure the killing stops. I believe our best bet to achieve peace is to fully support and respect the precision instruments of the law created to resolve disputes that threaten peace and security for all of humanity. Right now, this process is underway at the International Court of Justice. I believe this is the correct place to determine, away from all the press briefings and propaganda and social media posts that are so polarizing, to determine and methodically and precisely examine the actions of the state or individuals who have broken international laws to which all countries that are signatories have agreed are vital for preserving peace, security, and health for all of humanity. Of course, the system is corruptible. I have no idea, of course, what deals and negotiating may be going on behind the scenes, but right now, it's the best we've got. I'm clinging on with both hands, to the endorsement from Canadian academic and world expert in international criminal law and human rights law, Professor William Shabas, who describes the ICJ as a mechanism for concentrating from around the world the sharpest minds in international law and people of principle. People of principle. I think I'm going to leave it there. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. Please share the podcast if you feel moved to. Get in touch. You can email me on podcast at jillianburkvoice.com or post a comment in the Spotify Q&A box. Um, listen, thank you so much for all your comments and emails so far. I really wanted to get into a few audience questions and letters, but I think I'm going to leave that for another episode, if that's okay. This has been a heavy one. I know that. So I'm going to sign off. But not with the usual, if you ruled the world, what would you do? Just be kind to yourself. Be fair to others. And until the next episode, enjoy this moment of calm. <laughs>